you're all going to die. Didn't mean to remind you of it, but it is on your schedule. Looking back fondly died. He, he's, he's a dead now. Do you want to talk about it? Season two of We Lost a Good One continues. By the time this comes out, it should be close to the, the time that schools are letting out for summer, which makes it a great time to celebrate teachers. There's also some sad reasons to be celebrating and supporting teachers right now. Unfortunately, it's been a tough time as of late. I actually, uh, you know, there's been so much tumultuousness, you know, with the last few years of the pandemic and how hard that was on teachers. And then, you know, that's made kids bonkers. And then you got horrible tragedies unfolding at schools. You've got all the political crap that they've been dealing with so it's a good time to say thanks so that's kind of part of what these these next two episodes are going to be i sat down with scott sheedlow uh after i i was clean so i was kind of with all the craziness going on i was like hey it's probably a good time to like just in case make sure my resume shined up and whatnot so gave it a little freshening up and i was like yeah, i better throw this up on LinkedIn. I haven't been on LinkedIn in 15 years. That's not even a joke. I think that's about the number. So I got on LinkedIn and LinkedIn's like, hey, do you know Scott Sheedlow? And I was like, holy shit, LinkedIn. I fucking did know Scott Sheedlow. He was my high school biology teacher. So we connected and talked a little bit. And I just had a gut feeling that he'd be down for this. And I say that because he was uh, he was my freshman biology teacher, but I knew it. I don't know if we all knew, but I I knew at the time that he had taken the job as a biology teacher, um, but that was his minor, and he was his real passion was was teaching English. He might have told us that I don't remember, but he was a cool dude, man. He was he was a, he, we got him when he was just getting into teaching, and I don't know. We just I think a lot of the guys in my class we just kind of dug him, and he we he like he did like black box little poetry things, you know, after school. When we were there, and so you know, even though he was kind of doing the more straight lay science stuff, he was still kind of into the more creative side of things. And I don't know, I think I think maybe we connected with him on that level. But he, you know, eventually got got into teaching English. I think that's so. A lot of people probably, if you're listening to this, had him as an English teacher if you were after me. But but anyway, he was great. Uh, a lot of my classmates, it feels like an inordinate amount of my classmates got into teaching, and especially an inordinate amount of males in my class got into teaching. There is quite a few of us. Uh, I don't know if statistically it is high, but it feels that way. And I think it's because we had so many great male teachers at Ovid Elsie. Um, I don't know what it's like anymore, but in the late, in the 90s, early 2000s, man, there was just so many. I could, I could just sit here and just list that's not to uh, disparage any female teachers that we had at the time. Also wonderful, but just there was just a lot of the, these cool male teachers that I think uh, we connected with and probably helped 
inspire us to get into into that field. I got friends who are shop teachers, math teachers, elementary teachers, English teachers. So I wanted to share something I wrote a while back. Um, I don't. I think I don't. I don't think I need to even preface this. I'll just jump into it. But I wrote this. I was kind of inspired one day. I wrote this, and I don't want to brag, but it was published in the Meridian Weekly, the paper of record in the Old Elsie area. So, I mean, I think I'm a published author. I don't know if that's how that works, but so I wrote this. This is. I'm going to say it starts off by saying 15 years ago this June. We're looking at coming up on whew, 21 years ago this June. Holy bazoli. All right. 15 years ago this June, I graduated from Owadelty High School. At my open house, I received your standard mix of cards, cash, and gifts from friends, family, and teachers that came through. This included a mug, a navy blue mug with gold lettering that said, Go Marauders and Owadelty High School on one side, and had our fearless, horribly drawn mascot on the other. It was a small gift from one of my football coaches, Mr. Bernash. I am sure many, many Ovidelci grads over the years have received these from many, many teachers, but for some reason, I became pretty attached to that mug. I took it with me when I moved out, and it has traveled quite a bit. It survived a few dorm moves, multiple apartments in Lansing, a move across the country to Portland, Maine, more apartment moves out there as well. I took it with me to my first teaching job at the Alliance School, a now closed day treatment school in Buxton, Maine for students with extreme behavioral needs. During my four years there, I always liked when I would be drinking my morning coffee and the student would ask, Mr. Green, what does your cup say? And I would get to tell them about where I grew up and share a few of Mr. Bernash's famous sayings like, get off the schneid and how we needed to be tougher than nail crap and faster than a three-legged bear horse. I do not know what a bear horse actually is, by the way. When that school closed and I moved on to my current position teaching high school special education at Massabesic High School in Waterboro, Maine, I brought that mug to work with me once again. And once again, I would proudly tell any student that asked stories about where I'm from and the many amazing teachers I had. I think part of the sentimentality for this silly little mug simply came from it making it 15 years without a scratch or a chip. But I also think I like the idea of holding a reminder of the place and people that inspired me to become a teacher in the first place. I know quite a few classmates who became teachers, and I don't think it's any surprise why we had great teachers, teachers who cared and got to know us and built relationships with us. They could help you dig deeper into something you were interested in or make something you weren't that into a little more exciting. There is no doubt you can see shades of my past teachers in the way I work with and interact with kids now. Anyway, these are all the thoughts that came to my mind a few weeks ago when a squirrely little freshman who was probably late for class ran by me, slammed into my elbow, and sent my mug crashing to the hallway floor. I spared his life. I did not issue any punitive measures, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't pretty bummed that my daily reminder of home now lay in pieces on the floor. Looking on the bright side, though, this mini-tragedy inspired me to look up Mr. Bernash send him an email. I thought he might be glad to know that 15 years after graduating, I was still thinking of him and now telling students of my own in Waterboro, Maine to get off the schneid. A week or so passed and I hadn't received a message back. I wondered if I had found the right email for him. Not long after I was called down to the main office of our high school, they said a package had came in for me. I hadn't put in any orders, so I didn't know what it could be. 
I opened up the little box and pulled out a brand new mug like the one I had just broke. With it was a small note that read, Will, thanks for the note. I hope this mug finds you well. Mark Bernash. I am very well, Mr. Bernash. Thanks to you and all of my former teachers at Ovidelty High School. And thank you all for listening once again. Like I said, I'm psyched to share this conversation. It was nice to be able to talk to Scott, a.k.a. Mr. Shidlow, kind of, you know, as peers for the first time. Um, I had not, I don't think I'd seen him since I graduated. That I couldn't recall. Um, so it was good to connect. He's a, he's a great guy. And just as a teaser, to keep you, to get you back uh, next episode, uh, let me just say that I'll be talking with one sweet Jack nutter so if that means anything to you you'll be just as psyched as i was to talk to him in the meantime another beloved teacher from over Elsie high school enjoy my conversation with scott shilo hey well how's it going mr shilo i'm going to record this too as a backup in case you're wondering don't worry. We won't see your face. Hey, Will, are you on mute? I can't hear you. I surely am. There we go. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> Glad one of us is a professional. Knows what they're doing, <laughs> how to operate the equipment. Um, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Good. I, I've been looking forward to this. I, I just think, you know, it's been the, the typical Michigan winter. We're in the doldrums <laughs> and like, I looked at my calendar and went, oh yeah, I'm doing a podcast with Will Green. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's great. So, thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm glad you're excited and willing to do it. It, always, it still <laughs> always surprises me that whenever people want to do it. <laughs> I mean, right. I get it, but also yeah. it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> That's right. So whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I'm 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 open to whatever happens. But I, I think that you know, again, you, you are sort of reaching into something where people do want to talk about this stuff, yeah. and and um, and so it's a great chance to do that. So yeah. So uh, who are we remembering finally today? Yeah. So I don't even know if I told you when we talked about this, but uh, um, my mom, okay, uh, Colleen Chidlo, um, she passed away in April of 2020. Okay. Um, after a two-year bout with lung cancer, Ooh. and um, she was almost 78, um, and had a good full life. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly, as as you've had some of the guests, I mean, it was one of those early pandemic deaths. Yeah. It wasn't COVID, but but certainly, you know, um, there wasn't the big visitation. We did have a funeral that was on Facebook Live, and, and people kind of tuned in that way. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is a case where uh, this is probably as close to eulogizing her oh, as I'm going to get. Oh, sure, gotcha. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's been a lack of that <laughs> over the past <laughs> right. couple of years. And, you know, yeah. at the time, <laughs> we just sort of said, well, eventually we'll have a celebration of life or something. Sure. And, and now we're going on, you know, a couple of years later and, and, and I don't see it happening. It's, um, yeah. that You got to strike while the death iron's hot, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, sure. I always kick it off with, uh, you know, your favorite, either, either your, your, the first memory that comes to mind when you think of your mother or just one that like really kind of captures who she was. Yeah. So. As I told you, I've become a fan of your podcast. So I, I, I kind of anticipated this and I, I asked uh, 
my sister, uh, who's three years younger than me, um, and I asked my wife and my daughters uh, just to just to kind of see if if my storytelling would would be appropriate and fit sort of who they think that she was, mm -hmm. and and the story came up really brings together so much of the kind of person that she was. Um, she loved people and um, had great enthusiasm for for family get-togethers um, and really wanted every one of those to be special in some way. And so she often sort of went over the top, <laughs> at least for her introverted son's taste. Um, so I, I specifically remember, and my sister brought this up when I asked her as well, without me prompting her, there was, you know, a tradition in, in especially on my dad's side of the family to, to sort of have a family Easter gathering. Okay. And at some point when we were still pretty young, uh, whoever had been hosting that wasn't going to. So, so my parents must've had a conversation about, okay, we're going to do the families. And um, my mom was an elementary school teacher. She just loved kids. And at that time there was still a fair number of younger children in the family. There was some things that you would expect like an Easter egg hunt, but there was also things like um, she would bring like burlap sacks from school for like field day. So there were sack races in the front yard and we lived, uh, like my dad still lives in this house. It's adjacent to, um, the, the freeze conservancy for people that are familiar with the area that we're from, uh, in Owasso, uh, but it's a big farm field. And so she would buy all these kites and she would have all the kids and their parents out there flying kites. Um, and it was the sort of thing where, you know, most people I'm sure have tremendously happy memories of that and that it made it the special day she wanted to be. But there was also a thing like it wasn't really a choice <laughs> to participate, you know, that she was, it always makes me think of like uh, the, the National Lampoon Vacation movie when the, when the Griswolds are getting close and they, they're, so much has gone wrong and they want to turn back. And Chevy Chase turns around in the car and he's like, this is a quest, a quest for fun. <laughs> Our mom had a little bit of that in her. So, gotcha. so it was kind of like, come on, Dave, we're going out to the field. Who's in for flying kites? But, but yeah, she would get excited, enthusiastic about family and people being together and, and having something for everybody. And um, I think that many people whose lives she touched, those would be the kind of memories that, that they have. For her. Gotcha. That's well, that's great. How much of that do you think was the elementary teacher coming out of her, you know, yeah, I mean, she probably forced I mean, a lot of kids into sack races over the years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She, she, um, she, you know, I, I think she felt kids were her calling, you know, that, that, that her job was more than just a job to her. And, and yeah, if, if there was, she had a, a big heart for that kid that wasn't participating or that, you know, gotcha. felt on the outside or whatever. So get in here. And get your leg in a was sack. used to get in here. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and and it, uh, just to share another quick memory mm -hmm. uh, that, that I think is, is just that this wasn't isolated to our family. Um, she would do, I mean, this was probably 10, 15 years, um, maybe in a row where, where she would do in the spring a musical with her class and every kid had a role 
you know, that she would write these things. I, I'm pretty sure she violated some copyright licensing because <laughs> uh, she did like Annie and Mary Poppins and some things. And but, but she would rewrite these things and make sure every kid had a role and, and you know, would get all these volunteers. Um, but they were tremendous. You know, these uh -huh. she taught third grade most of her career. And, and they are the kind of things that would bring, you know, the classroom community together, bring parents together and, and, those kids would gain such confidence because they would really perform yeah. up there on that, that, you know, stage in the gym. Um, but, but again, that, that was just very much in character for how she would go about things. And, and, um, and, and again, usually it worked out. <laughs> I think where most people, when it was done, they're like, that was, that was glad great. you did it. Yeah. Maybe not yeah, so excited exactly. going in, but. Right. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Take me back. Like what you're from, you know, her as early as you know all the way up to becoming your mother as far as her uh, like what's her backstory to yeah so she's from saginaw okay. um and um you know she she did come from a an uh, educational family her mother was a teacher and her aunt was a teacher um so there was that element all the way through you know i remember going to my grandparents garage and seeing stacks of mm. readers and, and things like that you know, my mom was a teacher in, in Owasso, but my dad was the band director there for many years. And they actually met at Saginaw High in band. Um, oh. She was a little, couple years younger than him. And she loved band, music, and, and um, the whole experience of that. So she was also a, a tremendous advocate for him. And I think when they started dating, it was a sort of thing like he had this job in SAG, and I don't know if this group still exists, but there was sort of this semi-professional group that would do summer concerts in the park. And my dad was sort of given this opportunity when he was still in college to conduct this group. Mm. And she worked for the Saginaw Recreation Department and was his secretary. And so, um, you know, again, the, to me, that was something like she would be all in on, on every aspect of that. Right. And, and I, I think that that forged a bond, you know, for them that they were, they were married 52 years. Um, but, but, and, and that really sort of traced our steps as a family because um, my dad's first job as a band director was uh, down in Benton Harbor. And, and then he had an opportunity to, to get the job in Owasso and she moved with him. I mean, again, the idea of her husband being that, that role uh, that was so important in her life. Right. Um, she was, you know, uh, they talk about coaches' wives. She was a band director's wife, for sure, who just, um, you know, and dragged us out to every performance. You know, our, our schedule was sort of around marching band in the fall, concert band in okay. the winter. And uh, the, for people that know the area, the Kerwood Parade, and it, it was sort of a kickoff to summer. And um, so, so, yeah, it, it was definitely a case that, that that was sort of a family business. Education was, but, but in particular, the band business. Um, you know, was, she was something that she fully embraced, um, and, and knew all the, the students and, 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 you know, really enjoyed that, that part of their life. Mm -hmm. You said, uh, so did she do most of her teaching in Owasso? Did you say? Yeah. I mean, the, the, she and my dad, um, were in the, that district for close to 30 oh, years. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, that she did teach like in Saginaw and Benton Harbor prior to that, but, um, yeah, that that's where, you know, a career was sort of laid, they laid down right, roots gotcha. and, and, and they really were, uh, you know, both very much 
after they retired, sort of staying and trying to involve themselves in the community. Um, you know, members of the St. Paul Church and singing the St. Paul uh, Choir. The St. Paul is one of the Catholic churches in Owasso, mm-hmm. and um, so so you know, again, I, I just sort of feel like um, because I live here now, I'm a caregiver for my dad, but but I, I it's it is a nice thing still, you know. Two years that, that since she's passed, people will come up and, and want to share some memories of my mom, uh, especially because. Uh, are you familiar with Reagan Lewis and Maso? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You ever had the, the pleasure? So, for a while after they retired, they would eat there like twice a day. <laughs> and uh, they knew everybody. Oh, and, um, and, and have, you know, again, it was just one of those things where, where uh, you know, that personality of her that she was very extroverted and would strike up conversations with people eating dinner and so forth. And, um, so I very much feel like they, they, they have cast a wide net, um, you know, in, mm-hmm. in terms of getting to know people through a lot of ways, certainly as teachers, they had a lot of students through the years, but, but they got to know families, they got to know the community. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's uh, a, a case where um, had we had, you know, a visitation for, I'm sure it yeah, would have been mm-hmm, a big deal. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Damn COVID. Um, <laughs> right. I lo- That's one of the things I love about small towns is those, those people, you know, where it's like, that's the bank, that's the church, that's Mrs. Sheedlow. They've all been here about the same, you know, they've all, they're just as, I know they're all going to be here. <laughs> You know what I mean, and I've right. known him for a long time, and and you know, you know, Elsie has has so many people like that too. You know, um, so yeah, that's great that I that your mom was one of those people. So you said third grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's it like having a mom that's a that's a teacher? I've always I've never had that. I know. Um, I mean, clearly it rub, must have rubbed off. How much of that do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's it's no, in your I genes. Mean, I, right? I think. I think I keep discovering how much influence she had on me um, because I, I think, you know, when I was younger, I, I, I as probably many boys do, I, I saw the, the similarities more to my dad and I thought I was trying to sort of be like my dad and so forth and, and maybe wasn't paying attention to how much, you know, she influenced me. And now as I get older, you know, there's, there's some things that I just realized, like for one, you know, like many teachers do, like after school, when I, in elementary school and so forth, we just waited for her after school in her classroom. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, didn't think much about that, but, but I realized at one point how comfortable I am in those you know, institutional classrooms. They all look the same, even no matter how, when they were built. And, you know, I picked a career for myself that maybe wasn't ideal for my personality i'm pretty introverted um i find that surprising and, and it, it's interesting to, yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I can fake it pretty good yeah. <laughs> you know but again it's not that i don't like people and i and i love students and i and i enjoy kids um but you know interactions with people tires me out sure sure and um to go into a building every day where there's like a hundred plus people that you're going to interact with like that's crazy that i chose to do that yeah. But it was a case that I just think, you know, it was like kids that grow up in the family business or whatever. It's like, it's what I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew how to be there. I knew how to interact with people. And and so it, it, it worked just fine. And then as I've thought more about it, some of the things that, that um, 
helped me to, to um, stay in the career as, as, as I got past that, you know, that 15 year point where I feel young anymore and, and so forth. I realized that, that I came into teaching when she was sort of maybe in the last 10 years of her career. And there was things that, that I observed about her that um, I just sort of did, you know, mm-hmm. like um, I, I just, I remember it was, I was kind of amused, but like at one point in her career in this time frame, she had a principle that gave her some criticisms on evaluation. <laughs> and my mom was, she had a perfectionistic streak. And so that just wasn't going to, going to play. Right. And, and so I just remember that, that probably it was something to the effect of this was the early 1990s. Cooperative learning was all the rage and it was something like we should be doing more with cooperative groups. So my mom dove into, you know, some professional development training and, um, and went in all the way. And, um, you know, when I think about when I got to, to that stage in my career, I was very open to continuing to change and grow. And I didn't know why at the time, but now I think like, oh, probably because I saw my mom do that. Yeah. She, she wasn't just sort of resting on what she had done. She was, maybe she was still trying to impress her principal, but the point was she wasn't going to say what I do is good enough. And I think that was very helpful to me in the last stage of, of my career um, because I, 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 you know, sort of was in a position of, I didn't always like the change, but we had a change in administration yeah. and, and I, you know, they're looking for people to get on board. And, and because I was open to change, I just, I think that really helped me to sort of have a very satisfying last years of, of, um, you know, at, at old Elsie. Yeah. And, you know, now that I'm doing the part-time gig at Baker. It's just still very much a part of like my approach, like, okay, I'm not going to be stagnant. I'm when they say, Hey, we have to do this or that. I'm going to try to do it. So yeah, I just think that, that I, I deeply observed a lot of things about how she approached teaching because my dad with the band thing, it's just different. Yeah. You know, yeah. but, but he's just doing but, his, Yeah. They don't, nobody bothers them right. really. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but classroom teaching, in the end, there's a lot of similarities yeah. regardless of the age level. And, yeah. um, yeah. So she was, she was probably my biggest influence when it's all said and done. That's, that's, I feel like, I feel like my generation of teachers, like I feel like every year has been different. Whereas her generation, that was probably a pretty rare, or at least a less yeah. common trait to be that flexible and open to criticism and willing to. Change yeah, I, I think you know it is a case not to get too uh, theoretical about you know educational history <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But I've given some thought to this mm-hmm. um, because the other thing I noticed as I came in is is um, that was sort of the start of the time period of sort of the school improvement law that sort of basically said you have to keep improving and growing right. and so forth. And I think prior to that, you're right. Like it was pretty much your principal thought you were doing a good job. You could keep doing what you were doing and, and do it for years. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was a hard adjustment. Um, and, and another one of those things that, that um, she struggled with but but she certainly did adapt to and, and then there's the side of that that you know hey people collaborating and working on the school improvement plans and all those things that, that I could very much see her then that that social part of her mm, taking over sure. and um so so you know again she was somebody that would embrace that but you're right I, I think that um you know that that 
to some degree, she was sort of caught, you know, where she couldn't just write out her career doing what she'd always done. And, um, and that's part of what I think about those musicals. You know, (laughs) there was a time where you could fill a semester with something like that. Nobody would say, but but once the, you know, the state curriculum comes in and there's statewide testing, people start to wonder, Hey, you're spending time on those musicals, but (laughs) she figured out a way to get it in. Probably was asking parents to bring kids in after school or pick them up after school. And she, because again, it was going to happen. Right. It was worth it. Right. So. That's awesome. I yeah. Now I just want to veer off into education talk, but um, it's <laughs> like that's the stuff that it, I mean. I get you know why that we need to learn things that are maybe a little more specific and important, but also like I'm kids only remember the play they were in, or you know, I mean, every fifth grader. I don't know if you knew Mrs. Corbin, but um, at, yep. I mean, we all remember making puppets. And doing the puppet right. show. I mean, right. I couldn't tell you what else. You know, nothing else from that class. Um, right. But yeah, so more of that is where we are kind of missing that stuff. That's too bad. What What do you think she did? Was, was she glad that you went into teaching? She told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but once I made the decision, she was very supportive. And um, to some degree, I, I suppose, you know, she was probably glad that I was, you know, I had some direction. I yeah. was... I was one of those no prep students for two years uh, in my first years of school. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think it, it certainly uh, was one of those things that as an adult bonding with your parents, you know, and, and continuing those relationships, especially when the friction comes in and, and you don't want to hear what they tell you about how to do your life yeah. anymore. It was, it was very nice that we could sort of compare notes about, about teaching and, and, um, she was always pretty good about that. I mean, she could be very critical, that perfectionistic side, but, but she was never that way about, you know, my career or, um, it, you know, anything, but, but what I remember is being supportive mm-hmm. about that. And so, again, that was a big deal, even though I, I don't think I acknowledged it at the time, just because, you know, I, I think that one thing I always knew, and, and again, I think it was partly because I was around her so much, even at her job is, you know, I could see the impact she had on kids and, and just like you're saying, you know, that those things that really matter to kids, that impact, I could see her and how much kids appreciated that. And so I had a lot of respect for her as a teacher. And, and I think she knew that. And I would often tell her that. And, you know, again, I'm not sure everybody gets a chance to do that, yeah. to be able to say, hey, mom or dad, I really think you're good at your job. Mm-hmm. You know, um, thank you for everything else. But but, you know, I respect you as a professional. And I, I, I got that chance. So that was that was a really a cool thing. Did she tell you that as well? What did she think about you as a teacher? Did she ever give you any? Yeah, no, I think, um, I think what happened, um, I, I think, you know, that let's say students would from over Elsie would get jobs in Owasso. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the grocery store or wherever, you know, Greg and Lou's restaurant. And, um, and they would be like, they see, they recognize the name Shilo. Sure. And they're like, are, you know, are you laid to Mr. Shilo, <laughs> which used to be my dad. Right. But when it started to be Mr. Shilo teaches over Elsie High School. And uh, fortunately, I guess there was enough, you know, sort of positive reactions that they got <laughs> to hear, hey, your son's a pretty good teacher. So uh, I think that was, that was the thing. Because when that happened, she was a proud mother. Um, and it definitely would tell lots of people, I'm sure. That's nice to hear. Um, 
how so how how long did you overlap where you were both teaching? Yeah, I mean, I started in 1992-93, and I think she retired maybe 2000-2001, oh, okay. somewhere So about, about a decade? Yeah, about a decade, yeah. When did you come to Ovid Elsie? What year was that? Uh, it was, I think 95, 96. Oh, okay. Yeah, my, my wife and I uh, met in Hale, Michigan, we, and my wife's a teacher, which I think you know, I don't think you had her, but um, but but yeah, we... Oh, it also is one of those great places that gave us a chance to both yeah. work for the same district. Mm-hmm. And, um, boy, that, that's just been a blessing, you know, that, yeah. that I can't ever uh, forget. How long were you there then? When did you retire from Ovidelsi? Um, so I retired in June of 2019. Um, I, I don't know how many of, of this particular group of Michigan teachers existed, but at some point early on, uh, the state of Michigan offered the opportunity to buy five years mm. towards your pension. Yep. Um, and my wife and I both did it, not knowing why, other than the fact that her wife was, her mother was a teacher too. So we both knew you, you get tired at the end. Yeah. Um, but I retired in June of 2019 because by that point, my mom had had her cancer diagnosis for about a year and it was starting to become clear that she and my dad needed more help. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had had a stroke and he had his own, you know, uh, chronic illnesses. And, um, so yeah, I just, I thought this is the time, um, even though I, I was pretty young, um, and you know, that, that I, I have no regrets about that. And, and of course, as I mentioned, I've had the chance to, to now teach stuff at Baker college, but, um, it's, it's a case where, um, you know, that, thing that I didn't know anything about how, why I was going to retire early or whatever. It's, it's given me a chance to, to be involved in my parents' right. lives in a different level for my mom, that last year of her life. And then, you know, I'm, I'm my dad's primary caregiver, although he's, he's still semi independent. Um, and, and again, I, I couldn't have told you that when I was right. 25 or 30, yeah. that, that I would do that. It you know, I, I figured I'd be like my parents and work till I was 58, 59, 60 years old. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it certainly has has been something that um, was one of those you know curveballs that 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 I'm really happy that it that it turned out that way. Right. What before um before we get into the actual uh, you know what got him as I say sometimes um <laughs> what kind of how would you describe her as a mother and also how many siblings did you say you have? I just have one okay. younger sister. One sister. Okay. What kind of mother was she? We got the teacher well, side. So. So at this point, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little, uh, you know, analytical, if you don't mind, sure. because I, I thought a lot about this. I I'm prone to a lot of self-analysis. I don't know if you're familiar with this at all. It's, it's out there. You can look it up, but uh, are you familiar with the Enneagram at all? I don't think so. It's, it's a kind of a personality typing system, oh, okay. sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, but I, I find it far more useful than like the Myers-Briggs, even though that, that was where I discovered I was an introvert. Gotcha. Um, but, but I'm getting sidetracked here. I only bring it up because um, what I think is useful about the Enneagram is, is, is it doesn't sort of, you know, choose favorites in terms of personality types. It's, it, it's sort of, you know, looking at like, what are the survival strategies that we use when we're young that sort of becomes our default way of interacting with the world. So I mentioned that my mom had a perfectionist streak mm-hmm. and the, the, the one position on the Enneagram uh, is sometimes termed the perfectionist. Um, also the, the reformer, um, you know, the, 
that I've, I've, I've done a lot of reading about that to, to try to understand, you know, that part of her, because on the one hand, I think it is a part of what drove her to do so many things for so many people at, you know, this very high level. She had such high standards because she was chasing some vision of perfection, some ideal vision in her mind. Right. And, and so again, a lot, so much good came out of that. The shadow side of that is perfectionists can be very critical of themselves and others sure. um, because they're always seeing what's not perfect. And so there was certainly some of that. And, and my sister and I have talked a lot about that. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, when I, when I think about her um, now, especially having spent so much time with her in the last couple of years of her life, I, I realized how difficult that was for her, you know, to, to always sort of mm -hmm. be in that mode of, of, of recognizing, well, this isn't right. This isn't good enough and so forth. Um, Certainly when it was directed at me, sure. and I think my sister shares <laughs> some of this, I, I didn't appreciate it so much. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and, you know, at times it was a source of friction, but um, she had abundant love for her family and especially for her kids. And when she became a grandmother, it just, you know, went up another level. Um, I, I mean, this is another illustration. If I, if I can just, I know you have kind of a mother she was, but, but I, I yeah, it's, grandmother it's, counts too. Yeah. Grandmother counts. <laughs> I mean, the, so, you know, part of this was that, that, that then, you know, especially my sister's family's in California. So, so, you know, it's big trips to, yeah. to, to get together. Yeah. But, but we never lived very far from, from my parents, uh, aside from that time up in Hale. Um, and, and so, you know, when, when they became grandparents, um, my mom was around a lot and, and of course, very helpful and, and so forth. Um, but that means there was a lot of sort of shared planning and so forth. And, and my parents have some property up in the UP. And, and so for my daughters, many years, there was always a summer trip up to UP with grandma and grandma, yep. right? And um, so, you know, there was... This was something I never was as thrilled about just because I was dragged up there. This was like a family property that went, you know, I, we, we don't up there as a family when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it was never a place that just, I, I just, it's beautiful and so forth, but I don't like the hunt. I don't like the fish. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to sit on the chair right. and read a book. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, my mom was always trying to come up with fun things to do up there and, and, and often did, but, one of the things that she did, my, my daughter brought this memory up that it just, to me, it's, 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 it's my mom at her best and her worst at the same time. We went on a drive and it, we might even be coming home because I, I know this was like maybe on the way back towards the lower peninsula. But at, at some point we decide that we're going to stop at this place that my mom knows has uh, Siberian Husky sled dogs that have been raised for me like to to participate in the Iditarod. Okay. And she knows this because as a third grade teacher, her kids didn't Iditarod. Ah, did okay. <laughs> you know, so she like did a bunch of research and found this place and she had been to this place before, right? So we, we, we find this place, we pull up and I'm looking around, I'm starting to read signs and like, I'm looking and, and it, it, you know, no trespassing, all this stuff. Apparently, there was a time when this place was open to the public. And ah. You could go visit the dogs and you could get tours. <laughs> but that time it ended. Gotcha. <laughs> but my mom went up and talked to this lady and 
just convinces her that, you know, they can make an exception for her grandkids so they can go visit the dogs. And like I said, my daughter remembers that because I'm sure it's that mix. Like, are we really supposed to be doing right. that? And isn't this cool? Look at these dogs, you know? <laughs> um, but once she got her mind set on something, you know, again, that there wasn't a lot of choice. This is a quest. Yep. A quest of fun. <laughs> uh, so, so to me, that's, that's many of the stories have that kind of a dynamic. Um, a lot of great fun, exciting memories, yep. but, but especially, you know, young Scott, who's like, should we be doing this? <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, you're not, if you had just driven home, you'd never remember that. You don't tell stories about that time you drove straight <laughs> that's, home. That's, that's right. She was good at making memories. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Things got to go a little funky if you, if you want to remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what, what did, um, so tell me, start the process of, of, uh, the diagnosis and, and that, and that situation. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned, you know, the, the one on the Enneagram is sometimes called the reporter reformer mm-hmm. because, you know, in a, in a, somebody that is sees an ideal world, justice is very important. Mm. Right. So when she finally got the diagnosis of lungs, lung cancer, you know, it's, it's this particular version that is non-smoker. I was going to ask. Yeah. She, she didn't, she, she was not a smoker, uh, aside from maybe some dabbling in college, but certainly not, you know, so she had a hard time with that. You know, she, she wanted to know, I, 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 I just can, you know, imagine, you know, like these conversations with God, you know, like, you know, I did everything right. How can I have lung cancer? Uh, but there was also relief because um, the particular cancer that she had was misdiagnosed for a while as a pneumonia. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, in, in the early stages, I mean, she struggled with the idea, well, what if they'd have found it sooner and sure. so forth? Because I will say that part of, for her, those last two years, because I think she had a pretty full last two years, but she did a lot. That's good. Um, was because she thought she was going to beat it. Uh, you know, she thought if she did right. everything right, right, that she would, that she would do that. And she actually was a, very close to be a perfectionist story. about yep, my cancer yep, I'm gonna be, I'm yeah. going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually was very close to sort of statistical average for that particular sort of cancer, gotcha. about two to three years. And she lived about two years with it. Um, but, you know, if I can just be, honest um about how those that time affected me I, I i found it to be very meaningful from the standpoint of to be in a position to observe her sort of go through that um both the physical side of it and the emotional side of it um i, I just found very profound and and it has affected you know my view of the rest of my life um, and, and how I'm going to live that because, um, you know, again, that, that when she would get worse, um, first of all, the physical symptoms of, of that cancer, coughing fits, yeah. struggling to breathe and so forth. I mean, it's, it's scary and it's very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. especially as she got down to like the last couple of months. Sure. And, and if I can skip ahead to that, um, she, for, for those two years where she was diagnosed, the, the first year, she and my dad had been doing the snowbird thing and, and going down to Florida for like six weeks, mm-hmm. staying in a condo down there. 
And the first year she went um, with the blessing of her cancer doctor. And when she came back, that her levels were very stable and sort of like, seemed like it really boosted. So the next year, you know, they usually went around the, the first of the year. Um, you know, we had this conversation because it was clear she was starting to get worse. Yeah. And it was also clear that the chemo wasn't helping any further, which was a pretty big blow to her. Yeah. Um, because, again, she, she was putting her, her, her hope in, in that. Um, but she wanted to go to Florida thinking, this is going to help me. This is one of my strategies. And so we were all a little bit reluctant because travel is really hard. But she, she and my dad went down. And so this would have been, you know, 2020. Uh, the pandemic hadn't hit yet. There weren't travel concerns yet or anything right. like that. Um, and so just doing these phone calls with them. And, and at this point, I'm just, I'm teaching at Baker. I've got like one class. And at, at one point, I'm get, I get this phone call where it sounds like they're, they're struggling to function a little bit. So I like, I want to check out. Yeah. So we had a long weekend at Baker and I, I, uh, I think I flew down. Yeah, I must have flown down. It was like a four-day weekend. And I just stayed with them for the four days for a visit. And they were doing okay, you know. But but again, things were not better. But I'm thinking, you know, they had the, the, this condo for like six weeks. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but it always makes me think of Del Boca Vista. I'd never seen, <laughs> you know, one of those condos yeah. outside of a Seinfeld my, my, episode. My grandparents but spent many years in those yeah. as well, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's they, really how they look. So, so I, I go back just sort of thinking, okay, well, probably they should just wait out their time and then we'll just make sure they get home. And then a few weeks later, you know, I get this phone call. I think my mom had fallen out of bed or something. It was pretty clear that, okay, this, this is starting to get more serious. Yeah. By that time we had gone to, you know, the pandemic had hit and uh, we had gone to online instruction. So I'm like, okay, I'm coming down. I'm going to bring you home. So, um, so I, I drove down, I, I had my, my disinfecting wipes, I think on everything, right. you know, the, every gas station, everything. <laughs> um, and when, when I get down there, it's hard to get into see her cancer doctor. They're just overwhelmed. Um, and, and so they were a little bit on top of things. Like she was, this goes, let me rephrase that. They were not on top of, I think sort of the daily sort of looking at, you know, like, blood tests and those sorts of sure 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 but she was still getting her cancer treatments but um it was clear she was getting worse and yet they weren't doing anything they were just kept scheduling it for for, for appointments but eventually the the doctor catches up with that and he realizes that she's she doesn't have any much time left and he's like it's time for her to go on hospice um and so you know we're, we're she did not like she wasn't sure what to do and she had always been sort of the, the decision maker in our family. So it's like me and my dad and, and my mom and she can't make decisions. Right. My dad and I look at each other like, what are we going to do? Um, so we're, we're playing out all these snares, but none of them look good in terms of her being able to fly back or drive back or whatever. But she's like, I want to go home. That's the one thing I know. So it became this, you know, mission, this, this dying wish, um, so my sister and I get together and we call one of these air ambulance companies and, and arrange this thing. And um, it, when, when we set this whole thing up, you know, there's all these feelings that go through with it. It's 
really expensive to do this. It's not like my parents are hurting yeah. for money, you know. It's like, yeah, this is only going to happen one right. time. It's okay. Yeah, you don't feel bad about this. Hiring the van is get you plenty home. expensive. <laughs> I can only imagine right, what, right. The, what the flight is like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is, and and so you know, it, it but it was worth it totally, you yeah. know, because again, it was it was something. We all needed something to do. Yeah. We knew she wanted this, and so. Um, when we set this up, we thought my dad was going to be able to fly with her in the air ambulance. And they arrived that day. And, um, the, the, the guys who were like on the ambulance crew, they weren't informed about this. Uh, and they were like, no, we can't. We've got COVID protocols. Your dad oh, can't go wow, with yeah. you. Um, so that was one of those moments that, um, to watch both of them sort of give into that situation, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think for me that, that we're constantly being asked in this life to sort of at some point surrender, you know, and, and some people are fighters and that's really hard to do. Other people, maybe it's, it's, it becomes more naturally, but, but the point is there are circumstances beyond your control. Yeah. Right. And, and so I just remember seeing her, not do her usual thing of, of, of putting up a big protest. Like I want to see your manager or whatever. And of course she was exhausted. Oh, right, right, right. Um, you know, I, I actually, I thought I was going to lose her that morning sure. before they arrived. So, so she just sort of went with it. And, and, and I just watched sort of very, there's this, this calm that came over her as she gets in that ambulance and goes off. And my dad was incredibly strong. He didn't protest either. Um, and, and so off she goes and, we um, then make our own plans. We're going to drive back. Like they have a vehicle down there. And, and so he and I are going to drive back. And if I just add one detail, because it, it, it is funny to me, like I, I told you about the hair, right? Yeah. You know, like her hair was, she had very <laughs> natural, curly, frizzy hair before I lost all mine. I had pretty curly <laughs> hair myself. Um, and she had taken to wearing a wig. She never lost all her hair during the chemo, but she had, um, it had thin. Gotcha. So she had taken to wearing a wig. And I do remember that specifically, like as, as they had her on the stretcher and they're ready to take her on the ambulance. She's like, where's my wig? <laughs> so yeah, at that point I'm thinking, does this really matter? Right. But you know, at this point it's all about making her happy. So yes. she gets a wig on the ambulance. Off she goes. She'll surrender every, I'll surrender it all. I would like but, my wig, but, please. But I want to look good doing Um, so we had arranged for my wife to to meet uh, the ambulance at, at her house and meet hospice there. You know, we had arranged all this now that hospice was going to meet her in Owasso. And uh, unfortunately, uh, my dad and I didn't make it back. Mm. Um, that that we had spent the night in Georgia. Florida, Florida's a long state. <laughs> So we had, we had spent the night in, in Georgia, and, and so it was our second day of travel. We're driving through Atlanta, and we get the call from my sister that, that you know she passed away. Um, the stories that we got after we start to, to talk to people, um, and in particular my wife, um, who, you know, I, I just want to mention, it's one of those things, like, you don't plan on this or whatever, but my wife had a good relationship with my mom. And so it was very comfortable for my mom to, to have her be there. Yep. And she was able to say that, you know, like she was in such a good mood when she got back to her house, you know, like she could talk and she was commenting on some picture on the wall 
you know? So again, the, the skeptical side of me is like, does any of that really matter? But, but having gone through that, I'm just like, I don't care. Right. You know, I'm just glad that she was happy. Yeah. Um, and, and of course they doped her up with the morphine and she passed away peacefully. And, and to me, that's a tremendous blessing. Yep. And hospice is, you know, one of those wonderful things that humans do for each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so, you know, it was, it was a case that it was really hard on my dad. Um, he's a quiet guy, but I, I think, you know, he, it, it is something that he would have liked to have been there. Sure. Um, and, and that it was really, it was really hard to sort of get that news on the way. But we got home um, and, and they had done very well with sort of all the planning of, you know, funeral and those sorts of things. But again, these are ordinary times. Right. So um, she was planning on being cremated, um, but we did ask that my dad get a chance to see her body, um, you know, because he, he didn't have that right. closure. Mm-hmm. And, and so fortunately, you know, that we were able to have enough time to, to get that set up. And, and so my sister flew home um, and, and the three of us and my mom's sister uh, went in to see her body. And uh, that was, you know, again, really important i think for, for all of them who didn't get the time with her you know i mean for my dad was with her the whole time but it was still that closure for him yeah. for my sister who had been in california you know who thought she was going to get a chance to see her mm-hmm. it, it was really hard yeah um and and i think that she still struggles with that you know lack of opportunity to sort of be with her in present mm-hmm. um because of that um but, but I, I, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where as an introvert, I wasn't too sad about not having visitation, <laughs> even though I'm sure it would have been great. Yeah. And, and I, and I sort of felt like, you know, if anybody asked, I, I was so at peace because I had a chance to see how much the cancer was taken out of right. me. You know, I mean, it was just a struggle to breathe. But one of the things that, that I thought was really just it was so classic with my mom and it just makes me laugh so you you know you go and you set this up with the funeral director and they have these forms you fill out right it's it's like what music do you want and so forth and they were members at saint paul catholic church so this really you know a lot of this stuff is for like at the visitation right not for the funeral because a catholic funeral is pretty much like yep, yep, here yeah. we go this we is got the, the music planned we got out. the routine <laughs> yep yep um and so we're looking at this form and my mom had this specific note about she wanted her tennis racket on display and she wanted, she was a baritone player and band. She wanted her baritone on display. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that was for the visitation. We're not really going to do that. But my sister's like, Oh no, we are honoring mom's wishes. <laughs> so on the altar at, at, the, at the Catholic church, we've got, her tennis racket, there's some flowers and some tennis balls, and on the other side of the altar, a baritone. The holy baritone up there. The holy yeah. baritone. So um, I just thought this is this is we we got it, mom. We got him up there, and and um, that was that was part of her vision. Yep. And 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 we we were able to fulfill that. That's so um, so yeah, for me, it's it's not those aren't bad memories at all. Um, but, but again, I think that, that there was harder for other people and especially for my sister. If you had made it in time, what would you have told her or said to her or what, you know, what, what, what would you have wanted that, that moment to, 
to be like? Yeah, you know, so by this point, I had had some opportunities to have what I thought were going to be really meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. And in one of those conversations, this was down in Florida, I'm talking away and, and it's almost like I, I suddenly am, I'm not really looking at her. I'm thinking about what I'm saying. And I look over and she's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, good. <laughs> so the simplicity, you know, like that, that, that morning, yeah. I mean, she was really struggling and she was starting to nod off and so forth. The simplicity of things like just saying, I love you. Yeah. Um, that was enough. Yeah. Um, you know, but had I not had that chance, um, maybe I would have wanted to say something really, you know, like, thank you so much or whatever. Um, but, but I, again, I, I, I just sort of feel like that's, that's part of the reason of the value of this podcast is there's things that we want to say, but they're not necessarily always for the person who's dying or whatever. Some sure. of it's for us, yeah, for sure. you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with right. that. Um, but, but it's, it's almost to me like you can't get it wrong, right, you know, right. as long as there's some gesture of affection and love, that's, that's the only thing you can do. And it's, it's always enough. Yep. Um, so, so I don't know if I would have said anything different. I think I probably would have, you know, let my mom or my sister and my, my dad right. yep. have that time with her. Um, uh, because I do feel like, you know, I basically said goodbye to her that morning right. when I, I, I thought she was going to pass away right then. So. It's it's dawning on me the I've done two of this next chunk so far and you and um do you remember Mallory Robinson she was in my grade yeah yeah, yeah. she's <laughs> she's who I just um, recorded with last week also an Owasso mother and just dawning on me but opposite in that her experiences was a very quick death you know that she wasn't able to do any of this and you're anyway it's just dawning on me how perfect these yeah, I mean, are gonna line it, up right it's now. one of those things i've thought a lot about you know like why doesn't everybody get the opportunity that i mm-hmm, had to, mm-hmm. to kind of be there and 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 i you know who knows but when when i have you know i, I listened to your introduction and i was thinking a lot about you know those interactions at the visitation or whatever mm-hmm. and, and do they feel genuine do they feel sincere or is it kind of this rote thing I mean, that to me, what's so hard is like, I, I just think, I don't know how I would react if it had been something like a car accident, yeah. or something very quick where, where, you know, or I know you had a guest that, you know, a cousin committed suicide. I, I don't know what to say for that. The, the things I think, I, I still believe, but that's maybe not what they want to hear. Right. Like, I think everybody goes to a better place. I think rest in peace really is that sort of perfect language for you are at peace. You, you, you all the struggle and turmoil is over, yep. but for somebody who's lost somebody quickly and didn't have closure and so forth, I'm just not sure they want to hear that right. in that way at that time. Yep. yep. There's no wrong. Well, there are wrong ways, but, um, um, <laughs> I there's can a lot a few of right bad ways. Moves yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. a lot about yeah, and it's such a hard thing for some. It's bizarre that like, and maybe it's a cultural thing, but the you know people have been dying pretty much forever, um, and yet it's still like we're still figuring it out and unsure of how to do it. Right. So you got you got the couple years with your mother to kind of be a part of that. Um, 
How has that affected your relationship with your father and how you're looking at these, this period of his life with you? Well, I think it emboldened me to be a caregiver Mm -hmm. um, because I sort of tentatively slid into that role, you know, as my mom got sick and I started to do more and more things for both of them. Um, I'll share one quick thing that just, it's, it's one of those moments where I realized, you know, like, Oh, you know, that they, they really appreciate this. When we were down in Florida, I was making their meals for them. I'm not a great cook. Um, but, but they would, like talk to my sister and they'd be like, Oh, your brother's doing such a great job making the meals, which she didn't like too much. She's like, what did you make? Oh, we had hot dogs last <laughs> night. <laughs> uh, but for somebody has got to make some meals and hot dogs, she's pretty good. And um, so, you know, again, I just think that like, it, it allowed me to think like, okay, somebody's got to do these things for my dad surely we could pay somebody to do it. And, and they're, you know, those people that, that do that kind of work mm-hmm. are incredible in, in so many ways, but they're underpaid and they don't know that person. And, and so because I'm in a position to do it, I just think, you know, like, yeah, it has emboldened me to go ahead and take on this role. But as I was saying, it, my mom was sort of the central figure in our family. And so now my dad and I look at each other, you know, it changes things. It it changes things. Right. Like, um, to talk to each other and, and, um, especially when there are times now where I feel like I have to give him bad news or I have to explain something and say, you got to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which no one, I, I, I never envisioned having to tell my dad what to do. And, and I, at times sort of drawn my mom's strength to be like, you know, I'm channeling her because this was a role that she played for him. She was the one sometimes that would say to him, no, you got to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, I'm not saying I'm doing great at it, but, but I certainly think that, you know, again, that that was a lead up to get me to this point now. And, and it's going pretty good. good. You know, it's, it is, I think we both think it's going Okay. Um, even though there are times when I'm sure it's, I'm, I'm sure he's like, quit hovering over me, you know, <laughs> uh, quit giving me glasses of water to drink. But, you know, I, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, prepared me to be in this position now. Does he live with you then? Or do you live with him? Or how's... No, he, uh, I live a mile and a half away. Okay. Um, and I come over and feed him lunch. And, um, you know, sometimes I spend a while and do some things. Sometimes I don't. Um, and, and then he usually depending, cause he can still drive. He either comes to our house for dinner or, or we come to him, um, or we go to Craig and Lou's, um, which he still enjoys <laughs> tremendously. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of things that I can do for him that I can do from home. You know, yeah. I, I manage his financial affairs gotcha. and, and I'm, I'm the one on top of his, his, you know, at this point now, all his doctor's offices have my phone number and, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And, and. You know, again, it, it's, it's something that um, I think it's a role I can play just fine, yep. you know, and, and you had me for biology. I, I, I feel comfortable in the healthcare area and how a doctor's offices work. When I first retired, I was a medical scribe for a while. Um, and so, again, I, I find myself explaining things to my dad, realizing oh, yeah, he doesn't know about this. He doesn't understand right. what this condition is or whatever. And so I'm back being the biology teacher trying to explain to him, well, this is, this is how this works. Right. But, uh, you know, this is how viruses work. 
Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a role that, that I think, you know, I, I think it's supposed to be, um, and, but, but I couldn't, I couldn't have guessed that until, you know, prior to, to just starting that direction yeah. with my mom. What's something that, um, you, you noticed about your mom that you wish more people knew about her and had no, or like saw in her? Is there an aspect of her that? This is my new question for this next chunk of um, podcast that I thought of. Um, so we're going to, so, so yeah, far, one question. for one, it was that's pretty good. good. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> so two things I would say to that. One is because of the fact that I had to sort of try to understand her perfectionism in a way to sort of be at peace with it and how it has affected me. Mm-hmm. As I said, I, I started to realize what a burden that must have been to, to live that way all the time. And, and so if there are people, you know, I've met them, yep. people who are like that, you know, who it's it's how they interact with the world by trying to be perfect all the time. Um, I, I would like them to know that she never got there. You know? and, and and so, yes, all that aspiring to, to, to be perfect, did a lot of good in the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, that she was still, I mean, there was a conversation I had with her just maybe a few days before she died where I think it had to do with, we were trying to order takeout during the initial days of, of the pandemic. And, and, you know, these little restaurants were going like crazy, yeah. like putting all the meals in one truck and driving them around or whatever. So like, I think a meal came like, an hour after we ordered or something like that, you know, and I remember her saying something like, um, you know, I try so hard to be perfect and I just don't understand why other people can't wow. try that too. You know, I just, I, to me, that was very poignant, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, she's struggling with trying to surrender wow. that life isn't perfect, yeah. you know? So I think that's, that's something that I, I think if anybody that struggles with that, it's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but beyond that, I, I just think that, you know, you're in education. I'm sure you heard the term lifelong learners. I mean, she was a lifelong learner. And, um, I, you know, I, there's many examples of things that, that I could point out where, you know, I could find books on the shelf that she was reading to try to learn to do something new or, um, you know, I, I, it just like I said, when she retired and she got involved church and um just different things where it's like she thought that that her life would be better if if she went out of her comfort zone and and tried to learn to do that and of course she believed she could but i I just think that 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 i heard the the quote once uh change is the norm but growth is optional i'm Mm -hmm. I'm probably misquoting that yeah but, but I think that, that, you know, again, that, that willingness to keep growing right up to the very end of your life, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's really makes life better. Yep. And, and I think that, that that's something that you wouldn't always notice with her because of the fact that she probably wasn't going to show you when things weren't going so well, but it was because she was trying something she wasn't very good gotcha. at. Gotcha. You know? Yep. Well, this kind of leads into the, the last question, which is, you know, what if we're looking back on her life? and her death um what's the moral what's the big lesson that we can that we can take away yeah so i was prepared for this one too uh, (laughs) because i think it's a good question and and i think um 
for me, it's a little bit of a full circle moment because um, it's something that I used to say. I mean, you you weren't in, or you. I think this was a little bit after you graduated or whatever. But I was cross country coach at Open Elsie yep. for thirteen mm-hmm. years, and you know, you're always looking for something inspiration to say, especially right before race or whatever. And at some point, almost spontaneously, I, I started to take to saying, "Your best is good enough." Um, and that was partly because there were a lot of years we weren't very competitive. <laughs> and so, you know, we were going to lose to a lot of teams that day. And I just, I wanted them to be okay with that. Yep. Um, but, but again, I, I just think when I look at my mom's life, that, that does speak to it on both ends of that, that her best in terms of, you know, chasing after that perfect vision that she had led to so much good in the world, you know, being the person she was. Um, but also that, more consoling side of saying that, you know, you didn't get there, but it's okay because God makes up the rest. Right, right. You know? um, so, so that's, that's my takeaway is, is that your best is good enough. And, and even though I still get trapped by my own ambition and ego, um, I, I try to say that to myself often. That's absolutely lovely. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I, anything else that, that we should cover? Any other gems? I feel like no, we, did, I don't think we hit so. a lot. Yeah, we did. No, I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, I, I, I as I told you, I, I, I had very fond memories of you as a student. And I suspected that you'd be good at this. Um, but then I started to listen to podcasts. And I think you're a very good listener. Listen, I mean, I'm like your teacher not telling you what a good boy you are. <laughs> but I also think, you know, again, that, that this is delicate stuff. And, yeah. and you have a compassion in your voice that, that makes it very easy and, and so um you know again anybody that's listening to this one maybe the obed elsie crowd or whatever that hasn't listened to the other ones i highly recommend uh that they, they do a full binge listen because uh, i think you've got a great podcast here and, and i'm a podcast fan i've listened to my share so um so yeah i appreciate this good work keep it up i i, I really have enjoyed this experience i appreciate you saying that that means a lot I'm going to leave all, I'm going to edit that in. That'll, that'll be my new intro. No. <laughs> okay. cool. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was great to, like I said, get to talk to Scott on such a such a different level and learn about him and his and his, and his mom. And again, a very pro teacher. A couple episodes coming up, but I I like that. I feel like it was the first time that the you know the kind of the lesson learned, the moral at the end there was actually just as much for the person who's passed as it was for those of us still moving on, you know, so, so I don't know, you know, Mr. Mrs. Sheedlow, I don't know if you get podcasts wherever you're at, but your best was good enough. And I think it's a good reminder too, because, you know, as he said, like, it was like, she made the world a better place by attempting to constantly grow and learn and be, you know, as close to perfect as she possibly could. But at the same time, you got to be aware that like just the striving is 
that's enough. That's what makes that's what makes you perfect is that you're attempting to, you know, get to close to that as you can, I guess. So one last time, thanks to Mr. Sheedlow. Thanks to all you for listening. Uh, again, next episode up. I will be joined by an inductee into the reading Phillies minor league baseball team hall of fame and MHSAA baseball coach hall of fame inductee and Ovid Elsie teaching coaching general overall human being legend sweet Jack Nutter in the meantime I'll talk to you soon be good